Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the February 16th, 2016 edition of The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, the premier place to get all your sports news and information regarding the Yeshiva League. The Court Report generally comes to you every Sunday night at 7 p.m. and every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. for an encore, but again, this is playoff season, so tonight will be the new episode of the week, and every Tuesday night will be the new episode of the week, with Sunday being the encore throughout the rest of the season. And every week, we'll take a look back and a look ahead at all things Yeshiva League right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Had a game this week? Let us know. You can friend me on Facebook. Send me a message. My name is Elliot Weiselberg. That's W-E-I-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Or you can like the Court Report fan page. You can also follow me and tweet me on Twitter. My name is Y-L-S Wiseguy. That's Y-L-S-W-E-I-S-G-U-Y. Because if I don't know about it, we can't talk about it. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsor. Sponsor, who are very busy now uh, in preparation for the championship games coming up, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Uh, give Mike, Larry, and the entire gang a call very quickly if you want to get your order in soon, because they will be very busy for the next few weeks. 718-769-4111 for all of your trophy and plaque needs. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, coach, official analyst, but most of all, like you, I am a huge Achiever League fan, and I am humbled and privileged to be able to share the efforts and accomplishments of these kids with you each and every week right here on The Court Report. Hello again, folks, and welcome back to The Court Report. The first week of the Yeshiva League playoff season is in the books. Several results for you right ahead. Also, this weekend, the Wittenberg tournament, the wrestling tournament that happens every year, we will have an interview with one of the announcers of the uh, of the of the event, Amichai Levy, on for you this week. So let's dive right into this action-packed playoff preview. We're going to start off in JV Hockey. Just to remind you as to how the playoffs work in JV Hockey, eight teams make the playoffs. Top three spots go to the three division winners. The next five to the next five standing teams without having a uh, without having a bracket, though. We'll just go through this one game at a time. First game, number one DRS, number eight SAR, the DRS Wildcats. 10-0, finishing first in the JV East, arguably the toughest division in JV hockey. SAR, the colorful 4-3-2-1 record, the third in the JV West. They are also the defending JV champs, the Wildcats, 5-0 at home, while the Sting are 2-2-1 on the road, as they will be in this matchup. DRS over the season, giving up a league low, six goals in ten games, uh, allowing two goals only once, and that was to Hank, one goal four times, and garnering five shutouts behind solid goaltending of Jakey Friedman, including a four-game shutout streak, the second game of which was a 5 nothing win by the Wildcats over the Sting in DRS. That loss sent the Sting to a record of 1-2-1, but since that day, the Sting have lost only one game in regulation. That would be the next game they played to JEC, and since uh, have put together a five-game point streak to grab the last playoff spot in the JV playoff race, beating out North Shore, Ramaz, and Ramba. Since the departure of Gordy Kolb to varsity, the team has relied on younger brother Henry, who has picked up the slack, putting together an impressive scoring streak to end the season. Over the last five years, these two have met countless times on the JV and varsity level, with DRS having the better of the series. But SAR has won the last two JV playoff meetings on the grand stage, handing the Wildcats their early exits the last two years, including a 4 nothing victory in last year's semis. However, that game was an SAR. 
This one will be in DRS. SAR logged an impressive game against Frisch towards the end of the season, but that game was in SAR as well. The Sting have uh, always been plagued by that home versus away disparity, where the confines of the SAR rink have been an advantage against stronger teams, but the road has generally been a nightmare for them. Moving over to the next match, number two Frisch versus number seven TABC. This is the only intra-divisional match of JV hockey. Both in the West, Frisch uh, also finishing undefeated at 10-0, first in the JV West. TABC at 5-3-2, finishing second in the JV West. Uh, being in the same division, these two teams met twice this year. Frisch coming away winning both. The first one, a 3-2 win in TABC behind goals by Benji Feintuck, Maury Bauer, and Joe Tropp. Uh, with Akiva Hain and Ari Solomon scoring for TABC, with Joe Tropp scoring the game winner late. The other matchup, a 4-0 win by Frisch in Frisch, a dominating matchup uh, with two goals apiece by Joe Tropp and Maury Bauer in the victory. Uh, the win was part of Frisch's own four-game shutout streak by Charlie Freilish, defeating Ramaz, Rambam, MTA, and TABC. Trap, Bauer, and Feintuck have been the workhorses of the team, scoring roughly 90% of the 49 goals that the Cougars have scored this season. TABC cooled off a bit after winning four of their first five, only winning one of their last five, the last game of the season over MTA to salvage the seventh seed, dropping close games to Frisch and Hafter, and salvaging a 4-4 tie to SAR in the process. The two most intriguing games of the first round for me both involve Central and East teams, though. Starting out, number three Flatbush versus number six Hank. Flatbush, 8-1-0-1, division champions in the JV Central. Hank at 6-2-0-2, third in the JV East. An interesting game taking place in Flatbush's new rink that has given opponents very, very big troubles this year. The Falcons are 4-0-0-1 at home with big wins over JEC, a 7-6 game that was made close by a late JEC flurry and an overtime loss to Frisch. Hank on the road, while the record may seem to be a bit worse at 3-1-0-1, it pays to remember that both losses were one-goal losses, a 2-1 decision in DRS, and the 2-1 overtime loss in Hafter. Both teams have seen stellar play from their freshman goaltending, with Sally Laniato being leaned on heavily by the Falcons, who have played to six one-goal games, including the overtime loss to Frisch and regulation loss to JEC, while Hank has thrived due to Eitan Rabanapur's work between the pipes in the toughest division in the league. The final match, JEC and Hafter, the 4-5 game. JEC at 8-2, second in the JV Central, with Hafter at 7-2-0-1, second in the JV East. This actually is an interesting one. It is the only repeat matchup from last season in JV hockey. Last season, Hafter and JEC met up in what was then a 4-5 round where you had five teams from two divisions making, the, making it, and it's sort of like how varsity is this year. Instead, now that we have three divisions, they switched over to eight, so you no longer have that quote-unquote 4-5. This will be a true 4-5 matchup, with Hafter upsetting the Thunder in JEC 4-1. to this year, though, the Thunder have been stellar at home, only dropping a 2-1 decision to DRS to close out the season. Unfortunately, that game was part of the two-game losing streak that cost the Thunder the division down the backstretch and left them crawling into the postseason without the momentum that they picked up the first eight games of the season.
Hafter has scratched and clawed their way to the 7-2-0-1-1 record, with an M.O. of coming from behind late to win games in the third or in overtime, having gone to the extra session five times. Their road record is 4-1, with only a loss to DRS to end the season, a 5-1 a thrashing in DRS. The key for both teams will lie in who can keep the other team's key scorer at bay for longer. Uh, JEC hopes that this Kramer versus Kramer battle falls their way, as the Thunders and the Tunnel Kramer, one of the top defensemen in the league, attempts to keep one of the most prolific scorers, Jacob Kramer, in check. Meanwhile, JV's leading scorer, Alicia Schmutter, with 26 goals on the season, will be the responsibility of Hafter's big defenseman Jonathan Safaniev, who has steadily contributed on both ends of the floor and could wreak havoc on both ends in JEC's small gym. Alex Seidman and Ben Horowitz will man the pipes for JEC and Hafter, respectively, both of whom have surprised with their play this season and should keep this a game truly worthy of the 4 versus 5 notation. Moving over to Varsity Hockey, had some action this week with Ramaz and Flavish doing battle. Uh, just a little note, ironically, both playing games and both 2-3 matchups in Varsity Hockey are repeats of games played this past season. So in each one, we have something to highlight uh, from from games earlier this season. Starting out with the West 5 Ramaz East 4 Flatbush game that took place this past week. Earlier on in the season, Ramaz took out Flatbush in Ramaz 4-1. to one. Uh, The two teams came into the postseason on opposite notes. Both teams played during the last week, with Ramaz coming from behind to defeat Kushner 2-1, while Flatbush got slammed by Frisch 6-1 at home. Additionally, Ramaz carried the mental edge in this one, having that win over the Falcons 4-1 during the regular season. Uh, Flappish, however, looked to remind everyone that that was then, and the only thing that mattered was this one game. And in doing so, Flappish opened up the scoring almost immediately, with Aaron Harari putting the home squad up 1-0 30 seconds into the contest. The Rams would counter back on a Jared Feingold backhander two minutes later to not the score at one, though. In the second, again, the Falcons would find early magic off the stick of their leader, Sam Laniato. Laniato would score two in the middle frame, but Ramaz would answer each goal with DJ Presser tying the game at two, and Alex David nodding it at three, heading into the final period of play. Three minutes into the third, this time it would be Ramaz striking first, as Feingold would take a great pass from Gabe Silverman and put it into the net to give Ramaz the slim lead. Flatbush would get pressure to the Ramaz net, but could not break Ben Kaplan as the final minutes ticked away and the Rams would remain alive with a 4-3 victory. With the win, Ramaz will now go on to face the West number 1 seed TABC Storm, a game that we'll preview for you next week right here on the Court Report. The other play-in game happening this week will be the East 5 Hank uh, Hurricanes versus the West 4 Kushner Cobras. Kushner, 9-5, fourth in the West. Hank at 5-8-0-1, fifth in the East. The Cobras put together a solid 5-2 record at home, taking out JEC and Frisch, as well as their opponents, the Hank Hurricanes. These two faced earlier in the year, in the year in Kushner, with Kushner taking a 6-1 win. Arthur Greenfield scored the hat-trick at home for the Cobras. Hank conversely comes in with a road record of 2-4, only picking up wins over North Shore and Mag and David, but coming with some momentum, having taken out both of those two teams to end the regular season at home. An interesting fact, though, the magic number for Kushner recently seems to be three goals, as Kushner has only allowed two goals in each of their last four games. That game will be taking place tonight in Kushner, with the winner going on to face Hafter at some point over the next week.
Looking on to the quarterfinals, tomorrow night we have uh, we have the first quarterfinal matchup with the West 3 Frisch team taking on the East 2 Rombaum Ravens. Rombaum, the home team, finishing at 11-3. Rombaum, the second seed in the East, with Frisch 9-4-0-1, the third seed in the West. These two met earlier this year in Frisch, with the Cougars court wreaking havoc on the Rombaum defensive units, leading to six Frisch goals in a 6-1 Frisch victory. This game, however, will be played in Rombaum. Uh, Frisch didn't start out the road season well, dropping contests to Ramaz, TABC, and SAR before picking it up toward the end of the season with late-season wins over Westchester and Flatbush to close out the 2015-2016 campaign at 3-3-0-1-1 away from home. Rambam has been nearly perfect at home, finishing with a 7-1 record, dropping only an early season game to Hafter. Since then, Rambam picked up statement wins over Ramaz and DRS and capped off its regular season with four straight home games, winning all of them. The other quarterfinal contest will take place late next week, so we'll get to those on next week's episode. Just to give you a little rundown, again, we talked about West 5 Ramaz and West 1 TABC. Now that Ramaz has taken the victory over Flatbush, that game will be uh, next Thursday, February 25th. Also, February 25th will be the East 3 DRS West 2 SAR game. So, again, that will be previewed next week. And the date to be announced for the winner of tonight's game, Hank and Kushner versus East 1 Hafter. Once again, you are listening to The Court Report on the Nakam Siegel Network. We are sponsored by Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. I am your host, Elliot Weiselberg, taking you through the week in playoff action for the Yeshiva League. Well, Yeshiva League Sports wasn't the only action this weekend. We're going to take a little break and get to basketball a bit later. But for now, this past weekend was also the wrestling tournament, the big wrestling tournament, the Wittenberg Invitational Tournament, generally held in YU, this year held in Frisch, uh, captivated by the action this past Sunday over the holiday weekend. Uh, felt it w- might be a good time to sort of introduce the Court Report world to what's going on in the wrestling world. We at the Court Report always looking to bring in new sports to our rotation. So, for that, went to an old friend, Amichai Levy, who uh, happens to be an announcer for the for the uh, tournament, as well as a coach in the wrestling world. We had this interview last night. Uh, very informative and very informative, not only about the the tournament, but also the sport of wrestling as well. Here, have a listen to what we discussed. This past weekend, the 21st annual Wittenberg Invitational Wrestling Tournament was held. Joining us on the Court Report now, the coach for the Westchester Hebrew High School Wrestling Program and announcer for the Wittenberg Tournament, Amichai Levy. Welcome to the program, Amichai. Thank you, Elliot. It's really nice to be down with you. Uh, now you and I have known each other for quite a while, but it's been more of a uh, more context of hockey. A fun fact for court report listeners: Amichai happens to be the only male member abom- among his siblings that I have not coached on a hockey team. Now, right. now, but how long have you been involved on the wrestling scene? Uh, well, since high school, uh, in my senior year, I, I got into uh, joined the team at Hafter, um, and I just got got really hooked, and then. From high school, uh, in Israel even, I, I was able to connect with fellow wrestlers, and, and, and then to YU, and at the time YU had a wrestling team, uh, it was a very, very serious program, and uh, I, I really joined, and, and I, I wrestled for four years at YU. 
Now, wrestling, for the most part, has been a very misunderstood sport and in many ways very underappreciated. Even recently, the International Olympic Committee decided to drop wrestling from the 2020 Olympic Games before realizing how dumb that was and reinstated it. Can you provide a little background for those at home that may not know about wrestling or that yeshivas have participated on the wrestling scene? Can you educate us a little bit about the sport? Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially in the yeshiva world, it's not really visible, it's not very well known, but in the public school world, it's, it's really a staple of, of uh, standard high school athletics. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a very physical sport. It's a sport that requires a really unique combination of conditioning, stamina, strength, and technique. Um, and, and you really need all those things working together to, to excel the sport. Um, and it's a very beautiful sport. It's also uh, beautiful in the sense that the, the technique involved is um, exceptional and, and very, very impressive to watch, like all sports are, obviously. The uh, same goes for hockey, it goes without saying. But, you know, wrestling is the same way. Um, and it's also uh, a very safe sport, which also I think is, might be surprising to some people, um, that even though it, it, it's a contact sport and there's an element of... of physicality to it, uh, the, the statistics that, that injuries are, are, are the same as, as basketball or hockey. Um, so in that sense, that's another uh, element. And uh, yeah, I think, I think people who try it out and, and you know, um, are often surprised at, at how, how much fun it is. It's a really fun sport. Now, how does a wrestling match work? Take, take us through the timing, the rules, anything that can just give us a little better indication as to how to follow uh, a, a match if we were to be watching it. For sure, and that's definitely an obstacle because it does take a little bit of time to, to learn how to follow a match and to appreciate it. Um, but in high school, a wrestling match is six minutes long, two three-minute periods. There's no break between the periods, so it's really a straight six minutes of wrestling, usually. Um, and it's a very intense six minutes. So six minutes sounds short, um, and, and you know, but but when you're when you're doing it, it's, it really uh, is feels it could be like the most exhausting and demanding six minutes uh, that you've ever experienced. Um, and in that time period, uh, the wrestling match starts off with two wrestlers wrestling from their feet. So they're they're facing off against each other. Um, the ref blows a whistle, sort of like you might imagine, like a face off in hockey. Um, and, and the goal then is to, to take your opponent down to the mat. So basically, it's to demonstrate to the referee that you are in control of your opponent, that you were originally were both standing in this very symmetrical position, and now your opponent's down on the mat, and you have you were responsible for bringing him down. Um, and the, the rules are uh, you know a little bit like like precise. There's a lot of details that goes into you know, what exactly counts to take down and how a takedown works. But with some experience and with some exposure, it becomes very intuitive, and it really it makes a lot of sense. It's not it's nothing you know, surprising or it's not really in the hands of the ref. It's pretty objective determination. Um, and so that's that's the main element of the sport. This 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 you know symmetrical scenario where two guys are facing off. They're moving. They're they're tapping each other. They're you know their hands are moving. Their feet are moving. They're looking to maybe grab a leg. They're mo- looking to pull down on the opponent's head. They're looking to pull on an arm or something and get an angle. Um, and so that's that's one element, and that's really uh, a whole art in of itself. Those motions, those takedowns, that technique. And then the second element of the sport happens on the mat itself. So basically, one there's there's one wrestler who is in control. It's called, and that wrestler is now trying to pin the opponent. He's trying to uh, his opponent. They're both on the mat. They're both uh, you know um, basically on hands and knees. And the other one of them is trying to either expose the, 
his opponent's shoulders to the mat for an extended period of time, or ideally to pin them to the mat, hold them there for just a split second, and he will, you know, win by pin. Um, so a takedown gives you points. Exposing a person's back to the mat for uh, about three or five seconds, the ref will count, at, you know, you get different points for each. Um, also gives you points, and then a pin win ends the match. Pin wins. So that, that's the main, the main in broad strokes uh, outline of what a wrestling match looks like. So there are two possible ways to win a, to win a wrestling match, either by pinning or by points, correct? Exactly. And if you have a 15 point advantage, that would be what's called a tech fall. You know, you win by, by points that way. But or the, the, if the match expires the, after six minutes, the wrestler with the most points is the winner. And now it even works out that you can be losing on points, but if you happen to get a pin, even if you're losing by say 14 one point away from a tech fall, if you were to pin your opponent, you would still end up winning the match, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's it's even a case of never give up, because you can always pull out the win no matter what. Absolutely. All right, yes. so bringing around to the Wittenberg tournament, how long have you been involved with the Wittenberg tournament? So my first year involved was in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. That was when I was a wrestler. Um, and since then, I've been coming back in, in various forms. I mean, I missed a few years here and there for various reasons, but, but really consistently since 2006, uh, maybe two years, uh, you know, as I, I wasn't, I did not, I was not in attendance. But so for eight years, I was in attendance either as a wrestler or as an assistant coach type uh, person or an ambassador for YU, um, and now as a, as a head coach of a high school. Um, and if there's also, yeah, I don't know if we mentioned this, it's not only the tournament. That, that I'm involved in, namely the wrestling component, which is Friday, Sunday, and used to be also Monday, but there's a whole Shabbaton aspect. Um, so that, that involves all the wrestlers going to a hotel for Shabbat and spending Shabbat together as well. Um, like I said, it, it used to be uh, Friday through Monday over President's Day weekend. Now it is just uh, Friday through Sunday. This year was the first year that they took off the Monday portion, uh, although everything else is the same. And it involves uh, wrestling on Friday and Sunday, and uh, and or Monday, excuse me, sometimes also Monday, and uh, a Shabbaton component uh, for Shabbat. So all the wrestlers from you know yeshivas across the United States, including now uh, for for a few years, one yeshiva which isn't Orthodox, um, but mostly Orthodox yeshivas, they they go and spend Shabbat together. There's programming for the guys. Uh, obviously, it's like a YU level religious type Shabbaton with, um, you know, games and, like, trivia and, and whatnot, and incredible food. Now, is there a background story to the event? How did the event get started? Yeah, I do know a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but I have heard from Coach Elman, who is, you know, one of the, the, the he is the former coach at YU, uh, YU Wrestling. Um, he was my coach, and he's really responsible in a large way for this whole event. And I've spoken to him about it, and he's told me a lot about the history. And so, so basically, um, there's been 21 years of, of this tournament. Um, I, and I, unfortunately, I don't have the exact number, but, but I think around 12 or something, they, they teamed up with YU, and they created the Shabbaton component, um, and YU became very involved as a sponsor. So that's been going on for around 15, 18 years, something like that, so for a while. And, and now that YU is not involved, um, they're, they're still persisting that, that component, which was started by YU, um, just because the, the people, you know, it's become so linked to the, the, the wrestling aspect, the Shabbaton aspect, and so that, that continues to exist now. 
So uh, this year's event actually happens to be a little different than those that came before it, as you've been allu- as you've been alluding to over the past few minutes. In fact, this year's event almost didn't even happen. Can you share a little bit about the difficulties that the event faced and how it was able to overcome that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there was you know a lot of difficulties just because uh, we didn't have the same sponsorship um, that was there in the past. You know, Wanyu was an incredible sponsor financially. And in terms of managing the event, in terms of running the Shabbaton, they really did everything, and they did a, a really brilliant, amazing job. Um, and when their sponsorship wasn't there, uh, a lot of people had to sort of fill in to those, that role um, and fill those shoes and step up. Um, and I was sort of, you know, tangentially involved. I, I was sort of seeing what was going on from the outside. I mean, I was working as a coach of one of the schools, but, but I was in contact with people who were really working tirelessly to make the Shabbaton happen and to really try to make sure all the pieces were in place. I mean, these are people doing this kind of work for the first time, really. Um, and and they, they succeeded beautifully and, and brilliantly and it involved a lot of fundraising as well, um, which, again, I wasn't directly involved in, but I sort of saw from the outside, you know, amazingly managed to pull it off in such a way that for the wrestlers, the, the only differences that were noticed was, you know, maybe no Monday, and that's like a really minor difference. I think a lot of people appreciated the fact that it was more dense instead of drawn out, and also that the location was different. It wasn't at YU. This year was a frish, and, you know, four mats instead of three mats, but again, just minor differences. The the, the experience of the Shabbaton, the experience of the program was all preserved uh, in, a, in a really wonderful way. On to the, the competition itself. How many yeshivas compete at Wittenberg? This year we had 16 yeshivas from across the United States, uh, and a really incredible variety of, of, of schools and students and cultures because, you know, we have Atlanta and Chicago and California and, and just, uh, so yeah, a really diverse group of schools. It was a very, it seemed like it's a very national event. It's not just the schools in the area like we're very much used to on the yeshiva league level. Exactly. And how is it broken down? Is it, is it done but like in the Olympics by weight classes? There are a total of 14 weight classes in high school wrestling. The rules that we follow, the weight classes that we follow, the protocols are all like the same protocols that every public school across the United States follows. So it's a very standard procedure for weight classes. Yeah, and, and, and one of the nice things about the sport is the fact that, in addition, the schools that choose to, to pursue competition against public schools have that opportunity, and, and the wrestlers who want to compare themselves to the public school wrestling world have that opportunity as well. And would you be able to estimate how many individual participants there are for about each weight class? Um, yeah, so the weight classes are 32-man brackets, so that's, wow. that's sort of like the upper upper bound, and, and on the higher, you know, the larger weight classes, it's basically around there, it's probably, it's usually, I would say, uh, somewhat less than 32. When you're in the upper weights, the brackets thin out, you have less people, you might have like, you know, in the heaviest weight class, which which is sort of hard to fill in your league, you only have uh, about six wrestlers, that's very small, but an average weight class has between 20 and 30, I would say, or, yeah. Wow, that's a lot. So you'd, you'd probably guesstimate potentially upwards of maybe two to three hundred students participating in the yeah, event? Yeah, for sure. That's about right. Around around 300, I would say, yeah. Well, that's phenomenal. So getting all those getting all those people into into the building uh, in, in, in a week of competition to narrow it down to just one winner, that, that seems like a very big task. Well, one winner per weight class. So, so really 14 winners, 
Um, and we also we give, you know, there's there's recognition for, you know, fifth to first place. So It's like fitting a giant jigsaw puzzle together. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had four mats going. We run, the, the Winbird tournament is run, you know, very efficiently. Um, and, yeah, because it's not just, just the front side of the bracket. There's the back side of the bracket, too. So it's double Oh, wow. Um, and that's part of how we, you know, are able to have, like, a confident determination of, you know, third, fourth, fifth place. Um, and so, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of matches. I couldn't give you an exact number, but I would not be surprised uh, if it's around 800 or so uh, or something like that. But it's just a, it's a very efficient system, formats going all the time, uh, and, and, yeah, you get through it. So just to bring it in terms of how our listeners might relate, in hockey we have TABC, DRS, MTA, and Hafter, and basketball, it's Ramaz, Flatbush, Hafter, Frisch. Given that this has been going on for over two decades, which schools are generally the powerhouses of the Yeshiva wrestling world? Okay, so it's changed, um, and unfortunately, I, 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 I may be missing one or two or three schools, and for that, you know, they're usually very consistent powerhouses over, you know, periods of time. When I was wrestling in high school, I know Frisch was like a dynasty. MTA uh, is, is very consistently up there. The Crown is very consistently up there. ABC is very consistently up there, and, and yeah, I may be missing another one of these schools, which are which are very consistent over the years. Uh, part of the drama and the excitement of recent years is that just I believe it was four years ago, just four years ago, um, maybe five. Uh, SAR started a team. The coach of SAR's team is a good friend of mine. Former wrestled with me at YU. Was we were co-captains together. Uh, his name is Ron Ron Simchi. Uh, him and, and the other, you know, other coaches, and in a short period of time, through really incredible, incredible work, has launched SAR to the front of the pack by a wide margin, um, and they won the tournament two years in a row now, even though being such a young team in, in a really dominant fashion, uh, and this past year they had finalists in 10 of the 14 weight classes to sort of, you know, give you a sense. So, uh, in that sense, like, we're, it's a moment of transition where, um, you know, SAR is really building a dynasty out of their program, and so, you know, that's exciting. That's phenomenal. I'm actually glad that you mentioned that, because I wanted to get to a point, not only is this an individual event, it's also a team event as well. Can you explain the team part? For sure, yes. Yeah. So there's a, a scoring system, and as, as wrestlers move their way through the brackets, they accrue points for their team, um, and it's, it's specific. The way they win, you know, uh, accumulates different amounts of points. Um, every team selects a point scorer, Per weight class, um, and that's the person you know whose wins end up really counting. And yeah, and so so the team score really reflects programs which uh, have depth, which are which have you know large enough teams to fill the weight classes, and um, and they demonstrate you know for these teams that are successful over time, they demonstrate really a culture in the school where wrestling wrestling is appreciated, where they have the support of the school, and they have a large turnout, they have a large team, and and coaching staff that can build you know. Uh, consistently strong wrestlers across all weight classes. Right, so now, this year, in fact, I'm going to jump ahead a bit to, to the end result. Something extremely unusual happened this year with the team scores. Can you go into that for everyone? Uh, yeah, there was a tie this year between, um, was it TBC and Kushner? Kushner, I think, yeah. Yes, yeah, Kushner, I believe. Yeah, um, which is very unusual because, like I said, the scoring is very precise. Like, uh, there's a major decision in the minor decision. So if you win by eight points or more, you get a certain amount of points, and it's a little different if you win, win by less than eight points. And uh, pin is a different amount of points, and every round is different. So, so the, port, the, the point numbers are like these very 
you know, seemingly uh, specific. It's in, and a lot of things have to happen for there to be a tie because, you know, the, I think the winning team, last year the winning team, uh, which was SAR, SAR yeah. had 262 points, for example, and the second place team had 247 uh, 0.5. So the point is that, yeah, the numbers are very specific, and so there was a tie, which is really unusual and, and very unlikely. Uh, let's just grab the team scores for a bit. So you said SAR won the event yesterday with yes. you know with TABC Kushner behind third place. I, 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 can, can you consider it third place or is it is it third or is it fourth? <laughs> um, you mean you mean how they how they count the tie? Well, well, no, behind them, behind TABC and Kushner. Who who came in uh, behind them? I guess that would be the best way to put it. Now, um, I guess I, I think we called them third place, and I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. So I guess Frisch five, MTA four, Kushner TBC two, SAR one. Right. On to the individual portion of the event, uh, which took place this past weekend, as we said. What were some of the storylines, the highlights, and were there any major surprises that came about? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll, I'll just highlight. I think wrestling has some great storylines, and I'll just highlight one of them. Um, so there's a wrestler which I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with in the wrestling room. His name is Nestali Horowitz. He, as a freshman sophomore, did what you'd expect from a freshman sophomore in Yeshiva Wrestling, uh, which is, you know, he was a good wrestler, you know, you know, did, got some wins, but got some losses. In his third year, um, something, you know, changed, and, and he, partly due to his support staff and the coaches at MTA where he wrestles, had this meteoric rise, like out of nowhere, became such a dominant force in Yeshiva Wrestling. He, he basically... Uh, he made it to the finals in his junior year, and he defeated who was the, the wrestler who was the previous year's most outstanding wrestler uh, award winner. So basically, every year they give an award to the person who looks like the best pound for pound wrestler in the entire tournament, like the MVP of the tournament, the, the hardest person to beat. So he came out of nowhere and beat this, this guy, Kobe Kessler, um, in an incredible match, a really amazing, amazing match. In, in sort of very convincing fashion proved that he was the most outstanding wrestler at that point. Um, and he's just very, very credentialed. So this year, no one really expected to, um, anyone would be able to, to face him. Uh, he just was so dominant in that weight class. However, when I showed up at the tournament on Friday this year, uh, I noticed that there is, you know, one other wrestler who is incredibly well credentialed, who... As a sophomore, he, sorry, as a, as a freshman at SAR, this guy's name is Jeremy Berger. As a freshman at SAR, he came in first, uh, in second place, excuse me. As a sophomore and a junior, he came in first place. So another person who really is in the running for the pound-for-pound pound best wrestler, he bumped up a weight class uh, to wrestle this kid, Natalie Horowitz, in the finals. Is that, so is that, that sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but is that is that is that is that usual? Is that is that does that generally happen? Incredibly unusual. What's more usual is changing weight classes to avoid someone that you think can beat you. That's, that's more usual. What this person did is he, he knows that he can walk through the tournament at his weight class of 138, but instead he decided for his senior year, his last year as a wrestler, he wanted to wrestle the best wrestler in the tournament, and he bumped up to 145, and he is a small 138-pounder. So this guy is probably wrestling 136. He probably weighs 136 or less. I spoke to his coach about it. Looks very small. And he made it to the finals in convincing fashion, wrestling people who clearly have more than 10 pounds on him. Wow. Which is an amazing feat. 
Um, and it was incredible to watch. And then this, I was so excited for this match. The guy who is a, a really an exceptional, phenomenal talent in this Tully Horowitz, and this, this Jeremy Berger who decides to give his last year of wrestling uh, in this incredible, dramatic storyline uh, to take on this Tully Horowitz. And Jeremy Berger did not win the match. Uh, he lost the match, but it was an amazing match. And it was an exciting match. And he got in on the legs, and he created some amazing scrambles. And, you know, even though he didn't, you know, come out on top, uh, I think the, the crowd appreciated what they saw and how it, it promotes a culture of, of trying to, to get the best matches and trying to find the best opponents and not being afraid, not being intimidated. And as a fan, it was just incredibly dramatic and exciting and um, I think great for, for this sport. If people wanted to watch this, is there any place where they can go and go back? Absolutely. So every year for the past, for about five years, all the Wittenberg Finals matches have been recorded um, and broadcast live, and the most recent Wittenberg Finals are available on the SAR Academy YouTube channel. In the future, it, it, it may be on the Yeshiva Wrestling YouTube channel. The video probably belongs there more than the SAR Academy channel. It's only on the SAR Academy channel for sort of technical reasons. But the future home for all these videos is actually the Yeshiva Wrestling uh, YouTube channel. Um, but right now it's on SAR Academy. You mentioned before several awards given out. First of all, can you just, uh, how many awards other than the individual weight class awards are given out, and who did they go to this year? So, right, in addition to the individual weight class awards, which are, you know, one through five, they give out two awards. They give out the Most Outstanding Wrestler Award and the Dominator Award. The Most Outstanding Wrestler, like I said, is, is sort of really the MVP of the tournament, the guy who looks like the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the tournament. So that went to Natali Horowitz. I suspect, based on you know talking to some coaches, that Jeremy Berger, who lost to Natali Horowitz in the finals, was a runner-up by virtue of the fact that he made it to the finals, wow. being so undersized. Um, so I think I think he was in the running at least. I don't I don't know for sure if he was runner-up, but having spoken to some coaches, I think he was in the running for that. So is that um, is that sort of an indicator that that match that that happened was really potentially between the the possibly the top two athletes at the entire meet? Yeah, I think, I think there's no question. I think just based on resumes, the fact that Natalia Horowitz is, is, is deserving because of who he beat and, and the, the resume of the person that he beat last year and his own having gone undefeated in Yeshiva Wrestling this season and never really being challenged, I would say, in Yeshiva Wrestling season. I mean, it, it's worth noting that these, these guys who are in the top of the sport, they compete in a lot of you know, public school tournaments as well. Um, so he you know, has his own his resume of outside Yeshiva Wrestling too. But in Yeshiva Wrestling, he's really been unchallenged. And then, yes, I think the only other person with a resume that compares is Jeremy Berger, who is a you know three-time finalist. So, yeah, I think it's very safe to say that these were the two pound-for-pound wrestlers in the tournament. So, just going back to the, the awards, I know there's one other award. You said the Dominator yes. Award. How is that determined? The Dominator Award is determined by the fastest amount of pins in the least amount of time. This year, it went to an MCA wrestler, Akiva Axel, um, which is pretty interesting in the, because... That means that this year you had two MTA wrestlers sweep the two awards. So um, Natalie Horst and Nikita Axel, both being from MTA, won the most outstanding wrestler and dominator. And last year it was also two wrestlers from MTA. It was Natalie Horowitz with most outstanding wrestler and this guy Michael Amlev for dominator. So it just goes to show that even though MTA uh, only took third or fourth, they, 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 they actually produced some of the best wrestlers that turn as well. So yeah, those are the two awards. Now, quickly before we go, do you happen to have a list of the of the individual winners? Uh, the, sorry, the individual winners from the uh, from the event. Right now, 
I don't, but it will be posted on the Yeshiva Wrestling website probably in the next few days. Um, all the all the previous year's individual winners and, and the brackets, uh, all that data um, is hosted on, on the Yeshiva Wrestling website, which is just uh, yeshivarestling.com. That will be posted in in the next few days, uh, for sure. And so your time, very much appreciated, Amichai. Thank you. Please pass along the message to your fellow coaches that we here at the Court Report would love to add wrestling to our sports rotation, but of course, we need more information to be shared. Is there any place that we can go to find out more about tournaments and individual meets over the course of the school year? Right now, the best source for that is, is yeshivarestling.com, which uh, is not you know, a really complete resource. Also, individual schools usually do a pretty good job um, with posting results. That's, I think, one of the things that us coaches and, and the staff hope to improve upon going forward. Well, hopefully, hopefully all the coaches take advantage of us and allow us to sort of help be that culling point for the growth of the sport. We would love to make it a part of our, as I said, a part of our usual rotation here at the Court Report. That would be great, and I really, I really hope that that works out, and I would love to, to help and be part of that. So, yeah, okay, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you bringing me on. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you, Elliot. And, uh, and yeah, I really appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure, Amichai. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Once again, you are listening to The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are sponsored by Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. I am your host, Elliot Weiselberg, taking you through the week in Yeshiva League playoff action. Thank you again to Amichai Levy for that amazing interview. I hope everybody now feels a little more informed as to the uh, amazing world that is Yeshiva League Wrestling and the Wittenberg Tournament. Uh, hopefully at some later point we will have those results of the uh, of the tournament for you. Uh, but for now, let us read turn to Yeshiva League playoff action with basketball. We're going to start off in JV basketball where the first round matchups have already started. Again, basketball works the same way for both JV and varsity. The 4, 5, and 3, 6 will play in-conference games with the winners reseeding and going to face the first and second seed from the other conference. Starting out with the first first round game that happened, West 4, TABC, and West 5, Ramaz. TABC led this one from start to finish, winning by the margin of 63-50, to 50, thanks to double-digit scoring efforts from Jonathan Fine and Avi Proctor. Fine's 20-plus point effort was a major blow to the Rams, who could not keep TABC off the foul line as a Storm were awarded 34 attempts from the charity stripe on the night, despite only converting 20 of them to Ramaz's 8 of 16. Emmanuel Dicker once again led the Rams in scoring with 14 in the loss, bringing Ramaz's season to a close. TABC will now move on to the quarterfinals to face either DRS or Mag and David, depending on who wins tonight's game between number 3 JEC and number 6 Maor. Should JEC win, TABC will travel to DRS because JEC will be the three seed. They would go to face the two seed, while TABC, the lowest seed, will go on to face the highest east seed. If Maor upsets, though, they will become the lowest remaining west seed, and TABC will head to Brooklyn to face the Warriors because TABC will be the middle west seed. Speaking of the Maor JEC game, let's just go through the little history that they have this year. JEC finished their season with a record of 7-3, and while Maor eked into the playoffs with a record at 5-5. Five and five. The two played this season to a very close four-point contest, 55-51, to and as Maor will play its first playoff game as a member of the JV League. Both teams hovered around the 500 mark in their respective home road analysis, 
with JEC holding a 3-2 record in Elizabeth, including a key win over TABC to pick up the tiebreaker that gave them the three-seed. Maor, at 2-3 and three on the road, may have had his best road showing in a loss, losing in TABC in TABC in overtime. Moving over to the East 4-5 game, Hank and Derek Hattor, that game will take place tomorrow night. Hank will enter this game tomorrow night as the four-seed, having compiled a 7-3 and record after opening up their season 2-2, following a close six-point loss to these Bulldogs back in November. Since then, Hank has gone 5-1, and including a win over Flatbush and a hard-fought overtime loss to Hafter. Derek Hattor went the opposite route, starting off the season winning 5-6 of six before dropping three of their last four to Hafter, Megan, David, and Flatbush, despite being close in all games, including its early season four-point loss to division champion DRS. Derek Hattor is going to have the experience advantage with several 11th graders on the squad, including last year's top-10 varsity leading scorer Adam Matovich. But Hank will counter with its own star as freshman Michael Soar has been phenomenal for the Hurricanes this season. In the other East game, the East 3... Team Hafter will face East 6 Flatbush. That also happening tomorrow night. Both teams followed up big wins, surprising losses to cap off their regular season and cost themselves higher seats in the postseason. The Falcons finished at 5-5 five and five after dropping their Hattorah 50-39, but giving away their season finisher to a 4-6 and six North Shore team by one. For Hafter, the end of the season was much more costly, as a win over Hank was offset by a stunning 51-34 loss at the hands of Mag and David, who, as a result of the game, jumped Hafter for the second seed, meaning that Hafter would have to fight its way out of the first round. These two met in the opening weeks of the season, with Hafter taking a 63-58 win. That game was part of a four-loss-in-five-game stretch that plagued Flatbush, but the Falcons do need to remember that they played that game tough, not bowing out until a brutal overtime session swung the result in Hafter's favor. Moving over to varsity basketball. We're going to start off very quickly with the game that happened last night between East number 3 Hafter and East number 6 Hank. This was a game that was much closer than the final score indicated. Hafter, the 3 seed, would pull out the 52-42 victory, but not without some drama. The first half was a back-and-forth battle with Hafter starting out with a 6-2 lead before Hank converted 10 straight points for a 12-6 lead with 2 minutes left in the first quarter of play. The Hurricanes would keep the margin, taking a 14-8 lead into the second quarter of play, all the while keeping Hafter star A.B. Perlow on the bench with two early fouls. Hafter would score eight of the next ten points to tie the game at 16 and briefly take a 20-16 lead before free throws and then a three by Ari Warshaw put the Hurricanes back up two. Sammy Mandel would answer with a three, for his own, uh, three of his own for Hafter and route to Hafter taking a 23-22 lead into the locker room. Hafter would dominate the third, though, outstripping the Hurricanes 13-3 for an 11-point lead, but Hank would not go away. With 2.04 left in the fourth quarter, Daniel Baruch's long two would cut the lead to four at 42-38. But less than a minute later, an A.B. Perlau lay-in would give Hafter back the six-point lead that Hank would never recover from, as the Hawks advance with the 52-42 victory. Hafter will now play West number 2 Frisch in Frisch, a repeat of a game played earlier this season. As a result, the winner of the next game that we will be discussing will play West number 1 Heschel. 
East 4 Rambam and East 5 YDE will take the other East game this coming Thursday night. Both teams finish off the season at 8-6 and six, with Rambam getting the tiebreak as a result of an interesting uh, uh, scenario going down to percentage versus playoff teams to determine the winner. Ironically, each team split their games this season, uh, not only the two regular season games that they played, uh, where Rambam started off the year with a 51-39 win at home, while YDE took a 48-43 win in YDE later on, but the two actually also split their two Saturn tournament meetings. The last regular season win for YDE was part of a six-game winning streak that YDE is actually still currently on as the season ends, making it seven of their last eight after going one and five to start the season to work their way into playoff contention, including key wins over Rombaum, Hank, and Flatbush. Rombaum has been spotty with their streaks, alternating wins and losses in the last six games, but dropping their last one to MTA 37-32 as the regular season came to a close. The two West games will take place tomorrow night, with the winners going on to face the top East teams, DRS and Flatbush, much like we just discussed for JV uh, basketball. Starting out with our West preview tomorrow night, Hillel and SAR. Hillel, the three seed, enters the playoffs with a 9-5 and record, while SAR at 6-8 and is the lower seed in the matchup. And the Heat grabbed the three seed with the win over JEC last week to break a deadlocked record as part of a three-game win streak to end the regular season. SAR opened the season winning four of their first five before going two and seven down the backstretch to drop out of the playoff hosting race before dropping all the way to the sixth seed with losses to Heschel and TABC, a two-game losing stretch that the Sting are part of at the moment. There's good reason to believe, though, that SAR, despite all that, can pull out the win against Hillel. And that is because SAR has already taken Hillel out this year back in December. Ariel Smith scored 25 points and Dovi Marcus dropped 13 in a 67-61 win that involved a 14-point sting lead at the half and a fourth-quarter comeback by, uh, by the Heat. Uh, to close the gap. SAR will go back to Hillel and look to repeat the feat, this time with a trip to the second round on the line. The other West game, the 4-5 game, will feature West 4 JEC hosting West 5 TABC. That other game, again, also tomorrow night, uh, they'll do battle in that 4-5 game. JEC is the 4 seed with a record of 8-6, and six, while TABC was able to earn the 5 seed at the opposite 6-8. and eight. The two teams come in on very opposite notes, with JEC taking losses in their last three games over Flatbush, division champion Heschel, and Hillel, in that game that uh, that we just talked about, that gave the Heat the three seed as part of a two and five stretch after starting off the year at six and one, the Storm started their season at three and six despite having one of the best guard cores in the league, taking it on the chin to nearly everyone in the West before pulling an about face late, taking three of their last five, including a massive win over Hafter, 65 to 57, after taking a close overtime loss to Frisch and followed by the win over SAR to earn the Storm the five seed. For these two, the season was a washout, splitting the two meetings, a 52-47 JEC win at home that pushed the Thunder win mark to six, and the 44-28 TABC win in TABC that started the Thunder skid. With neither matchup having a clear-cut two-game winner, the possibilities for upsets and the different second-round matchups are very, very intriguing. Again, 
as it stands, the two uh, the two East by teams, DRS and Flatbush, the two West by teams were Heschel and Frisch. The highest East team remaining will go on to face Frisch. The lowest East team remaining will go on to face Heschel, whereas the highest West team remaining will go on to face uh, will go on to face Flatbush, whereas the lowest West team remaining will go on to face DRS. We'll get to those as the season progresses. Now, while the regular season is over and we don't have any more standings, we still have the Jewish Hoops America Top 25, which will continue probably right on through the uh, the uh, Sarachek tournament, which we'll actually talk about in a couple of minutes. Some big Sarachek news coming out over the past couple of weeks. So, taking a look at the Jewish Hoops uh, America Top 25, which we haven't done in a, quite a bit of time. This is actually as of February 8th last week. Uh, don't have the new ones this week. I, I'm guessing it's because of the holiday, but we'll have the new ones for you hopefully next week. So, just taking a look at at the Jewish Hoops uh, America Top 25 from February 8th. DRS, obviously undefeated, still at the top, 27-0 in uh, in uh, play this year. All nine first place votes going to DRS. Uh, behind them, Heschel at number two, 19-1. They're only lost to a uh, to a non-Yeshiva League team, a non... Actually, I think it was a, uh, uh, it was a New York private school. Um, so they're still technically undefeated in yeshiva team play. Third, uh, the third, uh, the third ranking goes to Shalhevet, fourth to Valley Torah, fifth to Eula. Other yeshiva league teams in the running. Hafter at eighth, uh, Frisch at ninth, Flatbush at thirteenth, TABC fourteen, SAR fifteen. JEC 17, Hank 18, and Hillel 19, a whole uh, whole stack of Yeshiva League teams right in the middle of the top 25. The next group uh, is at the uh, is at the is at the bottom, not in the actual ranking, but more just on the outside receiving votes. YDE receiving three votes, Rambam receiving one vote to round out the Yeshiva League teams in the Jewish Hoops America top 25. Let's quickly move out to girls' playoffs before we close out the show. Uh, already one game completed in the girls' A playoffs. Uh, Bruria, the hard luck loser of the tiebreak between Bruria, SAR, and Frisch, traveling to Hafter, forced to travel to Hafter, the East 2 seed, as Bruria, now the West 3 seed. Bruria, not taking any of it, defeating the Hawks 40-35 to to move on to the second round. Bruria will now await the winner of tonight's matchup as the two top seed games are taking place tonight in both Frisch and Flatbush. They'll face the winner of the West number one Frisch East number four North Shore game. The 10 and 2 Frisch Cougars taking on the East fourth seed North Shore Stars uh, five and seven during the season. The Stars have won three of their last four games to enter the postseason to rebound from a four game losing streak and eke out the final playoff spot following Central's failure to win in the last week of the season. Frisch actually enters the playoffs on the opposite note, having lost two of their last three to Bruria and SAR, but thankfully for them, winning in tiebreakers to earn the number one seed in the West. The other game tonight will lead off the other side of the bracket, as East number one Flatbush and West number four Hillel will square off. Flatbush finished the season at 11-1, losing only to Hafter by one back in January, in what led to the coin flip scenario between the two schools. 
As a result, Flatbush was able to win the top seed and escape the wrath of Bruria, unlike Hafter. Instead, they will have to play. Uh, they'll have the opportunity to play Hillel, who finished at six and six after starting the season off at five and one. Granted, the six-game stretch for Hillel at the back end of the season included five games against teams finishing with a record of ten and two. For the final game, SAR, the West 2 seed, and the East 3 seed Ramaz will take place next week, and we'll preview that on next week's show. Moving down to girls' JV. One game, uh, technically two games on the week, we'll go back to it, but Bruria and Kushner, if you remember, the two 1-9 teams out West fighting for the West 4 slot would square off in a playing game. Bruria almost doubling up Kushner, 55-28 to 28 to take that. So, Bruria technically now a two-win team, or the winner of the first playoff game, however you look at it, will go on to play the East top seed, the North Shore Stars, on Thursday night. North Shore enters as the East Division champions at 8-2, riding a four-game win streak into the postseason. The winner of this game will go on to play Flatbush, the three-seed, who upset the number two seed and defending champion Mayanote Rapids. Mayanote grabbed the early 5-0 lead before some personnel adjustments allowed Flatbush to go on a 12-2 run of its own to end the first quarter of play. The Rapids were able to start the second cutting into the Flatbush lead, making it a two-point game at 15-13, before Marlene Levy, Jackie Mizrahi, and Kayla Mutovich pushed the lead back out to 8 for the Falcons. Again, though, the trade-off of streaks continued, and the half would close with Flatbush holding a four-point lead at 25 to 21. In the second, Marlene Levy and Carolyn Casson came alive, uh, pushing the lead out to seven, entering the fourth, where Flatbush's offense turned it on, opening a double-digit lead and holding Mayanote scoreless for the first half of the final frame. With three minutes to go, Flatbush held a 46 to 30 advantage that the Rapids would not have time to come back from. They would try, though, but would not get any closer than the 50 to 38 final, meaning that girls' JV division will have a new champion. Levy would lead all scorers with 14, Kasten and Mutovich would support for Flatbush with 11 apiece. In the other bracket, West top-seeded undefeated Frisch takes on the East 4th seed 5-5 five five Rams. Ramaz comes in with a win over a desperate Central team, snapping a five-game losing streak stretching from the end of November to early February. Before that, Ramaz was 4-1 and, and looked to be a major contender after an early-season win over Flatbush. Ramaz will look to return to that, taking on Frisch, who dominated the West, winning all but one game by seven points or more. The other game, West 3 SAR and East 2 Hafter, has not been scheduled yet, and we will get to that once they are. Quickly in Girls B, three results over the week that have helped shape the playoff outlook. Elon defeated Mag and David 46-25, Bruria topped Shalamis 45-23, and SKA clinched the division championship with a win over Mag and David 44-18. Therefore, our four playoff teams have been determined. It'll be SKA, Shalhevet, Bruria, and Ilan. In what order will be figured out this coming week? Wow, what an insane week this was, and we have plenty more ahead. Thank you once again to Mikhail Levy coming onto the show to talk about wrestling and the Wittenberg tournament. Uh, again, next week we will go through the next uh, rounds of action in the Yeshiva League playoffs.
If you missed any part of this or any episode this season, you can catch the Encore presentation every Sunday night now at 7 p.m., or you can find the Court Report on iTunes or the Nachum Siegel Network app. Tomorrow morning, JM in the AM with Nachum Siegel from 6 to 9 a.m. live on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, or on your radio, 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 FM, Rockland County. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Call them at 718-769-4111 for all of your plaque and trophy needs. For more of me, you can hear me every Tuesday morning on JM in the AM at around 7.20 with the Tuesday morning JM in the AM sports update. If you haven't visited the Report fan page on Facebook. Please do so and click the like tab. Let's get the number up, folks. See you next week right here on the Court Report, only on the Nachum Siegel Network.